Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. Thank you so much to all of you who came to our big Halloween party last week. That was incredible. Uh, we honestly think that of all the things we've ever done together as a church, Vision Days and Christmas Eve services and Easter service, I think that was the best attended event we've ever held. Uh, and it was because you all were so good at inviting friends and family, neighbors uh, to come check out our church community. That was, it's, it's a blast to do things like that. As I told you, we don't just do it because it's a fun party for us, although that is a significant reason for why we do it, but it's a great chance to invite people into uh, our community and experience what life is here in real life. And there's a lot of people for whom church growing up was a stale, dead, tired experience that they couldn't stand, and when you invite them into a, a living, vibrant community, they say, oh, this is, this is what I wanted. This is better than anything I've experienced in church life before. So thanks for doing that last week. Uh, I had a great time. It was great to see all of you and meet some new folks. Uh, and we'll look for more of the same because we've got a big barbecue coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, hey, other good news uh, this last week. Our faith candle is lit today because one of our, our elementary school kids introduced another uh, child to Jesus this week. And so we light that candle every time we hear about somebody stepping across that line and deciding to follow Jesus. And one of you, one of our students... Uh, was it an elementary student or a middle school student? I can't remember now. But uh, one of the students uh, stepped across, uh, invited a friend to step across that line and follow Jesus. So well done. That's, uh, that's what we're all about here. Uh, real life exists to lead lost people to Jesus, uh, a community of grace with a God-sized vision for every generation. And so thanks for, thanks for carrying out that mission. Uh, hey, uh, I've got one thing. I know you're gonna, you've listened to uh, Raul and Stacy. Uh, talk about what's going on in the life of the church, but I want to make sure that you're aware of this one thing. We're in a series now uh, called Listening to God, and as we learn to listen to God together, there are spiritual disciplines that help prepare us to enter into a conversation with God, and we're, we're offering a class starting in a couple weeks on fasting, and if you've never fasted before, which I know a lot of us have not, it's worthwhile to take this little three-week class, uh, Sunday evenings on Zoom, just to figure out what fasting is all about. Because if you'll, you'll enter into that discipline of fasting, I think you'll find that your, your growth in faith is catalyzed by that spiritual activity. So if you haven't signed up for that already, go to reallife.la prayer and uh, sign up for our fasting class. You'll be glad you did. Hey, let's get back to our studies now. In, uh, in listening to God, we've talked about how to pray. We've talked about how to read the scripture together. Today, I want to look at one of the classic stories in the Bible of somebody who heard from God uh, and talk about what was going on when he did. Uh, join me and let's pray for a minute. Father, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you that you want to be in conversation with us all day long. So I pray that you would remove from our hearts and our minds the distractions that pull us away from you, and instead, help us to focus wholly on your voice. Help us to hear the voice of the shepherd and to live to follow where you would lead. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. 
Hey, I want to read you a passage from the Bible, so if you got your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to 1 Samuel chapter 3. This is in the Hebrew Scriptures, and 1 Samuel is a book that talks a lot about the, the kings of Israel, but it starts with the story of a little boy, a little boy named Samuel, who one day will become a great prophet of Israel, but when he's a little boy, he doesn't know that yet. All he knows is that his mom has dropped him off to work in the temple. He's kind of an intern in the temple. Uh, and as he's studying there, uh, he first hears from God. As he's, as he's working in the temple, doesn't yet know God, hasn't heard from God before, God speaks to him. And so I want to look at the story of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Follow along with me in your Bibles. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Now, Eli is the, the priest who leads the temple. He's kind of the head honcho, and so Samuel is his understudy. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Now, pay attention to that. That's actually kind of interesting. There are faithful people in that day. They're, they're working in the temple. They're worshiping. But it says the word of the Lord was rare. Have you ever had that moment in your life where you say, how come it seems like people in the Bible were always hearing from God and I never hear from God? What's wrong with me? Well, listen, the Bible covers more than 1,500 years of time. It's only the highlight reel. It's only the highlight reel. You're watching these great dramatic moments that made for great stories, but there are all kinds of periods where people are, are waiting on God. And so this is a moment in the life of God's people and in the temple where they hadn't heard from God in a while. Verse 2, one night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now, if you don't know where that, what that stuff is, that's okay. Uh, if you go back and read Exodus 25, it describes how they were to build the temple and what they were to put in the temple. And the Ark of the Covenant was this gold box that they had, and uh, they, uh, they had this lamp that's always burning. And so these are just the accoutrements in the temple. Verse 4, Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He's hearing God's voice audibly for the first time he doesn't really know God now he's working in the temple he's leading worship but this is a young boy he hasn't yet entered into a relationship with God and this is the starting point a third time the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said here I am you called me then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy so Eli told Samuel go and lie down if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the, at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone 
who hears about it tingle. And then God goes on to say what he's going to do to Eli and what he's going to do in Israel. And Samuel takes up this mantle of the prophet and begins to tell people this is what God is saying. God calls Samuel before Samuel knows God, before Samuel has heard from God, and God begins this relationship with him. Now, what interests me about this story is exactly what the author intends uh, this story to do. When you read this story, you ought to have one very clear, natural reaction to it. It makes me ask, does this kind of thing still happen? Does God still speak to little boys? If I get close enough to God, will I be able to hear him? That's what this story is meant to evoke in us. And that's a question that's important as we ask, how do you listen to God? What do we do? What does it sound like? Is there something I'm supposed to do to initiate it? Or is it just nonsense? Does it never happen? For a lot of people, it's a big stretch to imagine hearing from God, especially in this kind of dramatic, audible way. And the reason it's a stretch, well, there are two reasons. There are two reasons why this is this is a hard one for us to get our minds around. One, you and I live in a post-enlightenment rationalist society where we believe certain truths are just evident to everyone. And everyone around us sort of believes the same things. In a post-enlightenment world, we believe that what there is around us is just matter. The world is physical. It's made of particles and waves, but it's, it's, it's matter. That's what it is. And therefore, the only kind of knowledge that counts is scientific knowledge, empirical knowledge, knowledge that can be gained by poking around in the physical world. And furthermore, the implication is anyone who believes anything different than that is superstitious and hyper-religious and weird. And so the bottom line is, if there is a God out there at all, he is very far away and doesn't generally intervene in the course of human affairs. And that is the worldview in which you and I are immersed as surely as a fish is immersed in water. We are surrounded by it all the time. We breathe it in so much that we don't even notice it. Now that, that worldview is not Christianity. That worldview is actually called deism. Deism is a belief that really emerged in the 17th and 18th uh, centuries when uh, the scientific revolution had burgeoned and uh, Copernicus and Galileo and Kepler and Newton had begun to reveal to us the mysteries of the skies above and the world around us. Science was developing and we were learning that we could manipulate the particles of the world to invent medicines that helped people and technology that did amazing things. All the world's attention was pointed in the direction of the physical sciences. But there were philosophers of that day who realized that they still sort of needed to hold on to God because if they didn't, the moral undergirdings of society might be ripped out from underneath them. There was a French philosopher uh, whose nickname was Voltaire who uh, said that if you're going to talk about atheism, you need to whisper about it so the servants don't steal your silverware. Right? There was a sense that we still needed to hold on to God, and maybe God was there, but he didn't really have much to do with the world, and whatever he did have to do wasn't as important as what the sciences were doing. And so this new worldview sort of evolved. It's a, a watered-down version of Christian theism, and it's called deism. And deism is the belief that if there is a God, he started everything up like winding up a clock, and he's just letting it run on its own course. And he does not come down here and mess around with things. Supernatural beliefs are simply for the peasants. That's called deism. 
And it's not Christianity. And a lot of people who go to churches in America today are actually deists, not Christians. Deism is a swing and a miss. It's close. It almost looks like the real thing. We share some of the same vocabulary, but it is not the real thing. And part of the reason it's so hard to read a story like the story of God speaking to Samuel and take it seriously in modern-day America is because many of us are deists. Secondly, it's hard to take this story seriously. It's hard to believe this. It's hard to ask, might God speak to me in this way? Because we feel like God's probably too busy. And I don't deserve it. There are other people with greater needs. And so even if God could or does speak to people this way, it's not going to be me. It's going to be somebody else. Look, bear two things in mind if that's where you are. Number one, God's not a human being. And whereas you and I can only focus our attention on one thing at a time, you right now are focusing on me, and I right now am focusing on you. Well, I'm focusing on you. You're probably daydreaming, but you get the idea. We can only focus our minds on one thing at a time. God is not a human being, and God can focus on all of us all the time. He's, he's not too busy running around with different individuals. He, he has a greater capacity for attention than we do. So bear that in mind. But, but secondly and more importantly, remember, there is nothing more that God wants to do than to spend time with you. Every day, all day. He accepted the humility of human life and the humiliation of the cross in order to spend time with you. When you and I believe that he died on the cross for us, everything that could have stood between us is taken out of the way. When you believe that he died on the cross for you, he invites you into community with him all the time. Don't ever assume he doesn't want that. There is nothing more that he wants than to spend time with you. Uh, I remember in seminary one time being in a preaching class and one of the students stood up. We had to preach a sermon in front of our classmates. And for some of us, this was the first time we'd ever preached anywhere. So I remember this one student stood up to preach a sermon. And he looked kind of jittery, kind of nervous. And, and he, he began with a prayer. And we're all sitting there. And the, the seminary professor, who was kind of a stern guy with a deep preaching voice, you know, had his little clipboard out. And he was monitoring everything the student did. And the student uh, began this prayer. And he said something about, God, thank you for caring for us, even though we are so worthless. And, and in the middle of this prayer, the preaching professor goes, stop, which is a terrifying thing to have happen when you're giving a sermon for the first time in your preaching class. He says, stop right there. You are not worthless. God crossed the universe to become a human being and walk among us because you were worth it. He died on the cross for you because you were of ultimate worth. You are not worthless. You are unworthy. Some of us need to get over our hang-up that we are somehow worthless, that God doesn't have time for us because we don't deserve it. We are unworthy, but he wants it more than anything else. So, uh, God has uh, crossed the universe to be with us, to speak to us. And while we live in a post-enlightenment world where we 
don't always hear about this kind of thing, or we look askance at people who think that they hear from God all the time. This is actually what the Bible says. God wants to spend time with us, to speak to us, just like he did with Samuel. Think of it this way. Uh, imagine you wake up in the morning, and you begin the day with prayer. A lot of us do this. We wake up, we start, and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray to start my day. Uh, that's a great way to start the day. But then we sort of close the door and we say, okay, now I've got to go do the business of the day because I've prayed. Well, I think God thinks about the interaction a little bit differently than that. Um, you know those moments where uh, you, you, you pick, go to pick up your phone and you realize uh, someone has called you and left a message and you look and it says the message is like 15 minutes long. And you go to play the message and you realize that uh, what they've done is, is they've, they've do pocket dialed you and given you this long recording of whatever they were doing and wherever they were. Or sometimes you, you go and, and you get your phone and you realize that you're connected to someone's pocket and it's a live call and they don't know that, that you're there. They, they call you from their pocket and you answer it and you realize you're listening in and they haven't called you on purpose. Like they were the last person you talked to and they're at the top of, you're at the top of their, their call list and now you're listening in their pocket. What do you do in that minute? Um, some people I know just go, what a waste of time, and they hang up. Or, or some people will try to, try to engage the person from, from their, their pocket and they'll, they'll yeah, are you, hello, are you there? I think you called me, hello. Uh, personally, if it's me, when I know someone has pocket dialed me and I'm, I'm listening. I, I can hear the, the Mission Impossible theme playing in the background and I feel like I'm a spy and I really, I feel like I'm on a mission uh, trying to figure out where that person is at that point. But, but this, is, this is how God sees it. When you wake up in the morning and you start the day in prayer, God doesn't hang up. You might, you might hang up. You might say, okay, I prayed, I'm going to go, go do to my day, uh, go do the business of the day now. God doesn't hang up. He keeps the line open because he wants to talk to you all day long. He doesn't ever put it down and say, okay, we're done. You've, you've done your two-minute prayer. Go on. He wants to spend all day with you. What would it be like if you kept the line open on your end as well? And all day long, you listen to God and you talk to God. What would happen is a lot like something that C.S. Lewis captures in uh, one of his books in the, the Chronicles of Narnia, a children's series uh, written for little kids. And it's stories about kids from our world who go adventuring into a world where animals can talk and there's a big war going on and there's drama. And in the, the land of Narnia, there's a Christ figure named Aslan who's a lion. And sometimes kids from our world end up in the, the land of Narnia and they discover Aslan, much to their surprise. And C.S. Lewis, great Christian theologian that he was, uses these stories to tell us things uh, that are fairly deep theology captured in the wor words of a child. Um, in one of his books in the Narnia series, a book called The Horse and His Boy, uh, Lewis describes someone encountering God and realizing that God has kept the line open the whole time. Uh, it's about a little boy named Shasta. It says, Being very tired and having nothing inside him, Shasta felt so sorry for himself that the tears rolled down his cheeks. What put a stop to all of this was a sudden fright. 
Shasta discovered that someone or somebody was walking beside him. It was pitch dark, and he could see nothing. And the thing, or the person, was going so quietly that he could hardly hear any footfalls. What he could hear was breathing. His invisible companion seemed to breathe on a very large scale, and Shasta got the impression that it was a very large creature. And he had come to notice this breathing so gradually that he had really no idea how long it had been there. It was a horrible shock. It darted into his mind that he had heard long ago that there were giants in these northern countries. He bit his lip in terror. But now that he really had something to cry about, he stopped crying. The thing, unless it was a person, went on beside him so very quietly that Shasta began to hope that he had only imagined it. But just as he was becoming quite sure of it, there suddenly came a deep, rich sigh out of the darkness beside him. That couldn't be imagination. Anyway, he had felt the hot breath, that sigh on his chilly left hand. If the horse had been any good, or if he had known how to get any good out of the horse, he would have risked everything on a breakaway and a wild gallop. But he knew he couldn't make that horse gallop. So he went on at a walking pace, and the unseen companion walked and breathed beside him. At last, he could bear it no longer. Who are you, he said, barely above a whisper. One who has waited long for you to speak, said the thing. Its voice was not loud, but very large and deep. Are you, are you a giant, asked Shasta. You might call me a giant, said the large voice, but I am not like the creatures that you call giants. I can't see you at all, said Shasta, after staring very hard. Then, for an even more terrible idea had come into his head, he said, almost in a scream, You're not something dead, are you? Oh, please go away. What harm have I ever done you? I am the unluckiest person in the whole world. Once more, he felt the warm breath of the thing on his hand and his face. There it said, that's not the breath of a ghost. Tell me your sorrows. Shasta was a little reassured by his breath, so he told how he had never known his real father or mother and had been brought up sternly by the fishermen. And then he told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives, and of all their dangers about his night among the tombs and how the beasts howled at him out of the desert. And he told about the heat and thirst of their desert journey and how they were almost at their goal when another lion chased them and wounded his friend, and also how very long it had been since he had had anything to eat. I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta. There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I've just told you that there were at least two lions the first night, and there was only one but he was swift of foot. How do you know? I was the lion. And as, as Shasta gaped with open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued. I was the lion who forced you to join with your friend. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you. As you slept, I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile, 
So you should reach your destination in time. And I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to a shore where a man sat, wakeful at midnight to receive you. Then it was you who wounded my friend? It was I. But what for? Child, the voice, child said the voice, I am telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Who are you? asked Shasta. Myself, said the voice, very deep and low so that the earth shook. And again, myself, loud and clear and gay. And then the third time, myself, whispered so softly you could hardly hear it. And yet it seemed to come from all around you as if the leaves rustled with it. probably know the experience of suspecting that you were not alone. That someone walks beside you in this life. And you probably know the experience of dismissing it and saying it's just my imagination. But what would it be like if you tuned into that voice? Instead of chasing it away because it's childish or because it's scary, what if you listen to the voice of God every day, not hanging up after you pray, but keeping the line open? Here are the practical ways that we can place ourselves in a position to listen to God. And they come from the story of Samuel. First, God can do what he wants. All we could do is make ourselves available. Right? The, the voice of the Lord had not been heard in a while. And it may be the case that God has been waiting for a moment in which to intervene. All we can do is make ourselves available. Secondly, Samuel listened like a child. Samuel simply acknowledged what was right in front of his face. He didn't view it with a bunch of prejudices and say, well, I'm on my bed at night and Eli said he didn't call, so this must be my imagination. I'm just going to go to sleep. He listened like a child would listen and said, no, I'm clearly hearing something. Who is this? If you and I go at God with a bunch of prejudices which say, which say he can't be real or he doesn't have time for me or I don't want what he has, he won't force himself on us. We have to make ourselves open to him. Thirdly, Samuel was in the place where he was serving God. Um, don't rule out this one too quickly. The text doesn't call attention to it, but it says that it's the case. Samuel was working in the temple, serving God. He didn't yet know God. He hadn't yet heard from God, but he had, been, he, had been, he had come to be in a place where he was doing the kinds of things that God would want, where he was in the place where God would be. If you want to hear from God, put yourself in the place where Jesus would be. In my own experience, I find that I'm most likely to hear from Jesus when I'm praying for other people or serving people, especially those who are in the most need. Part of the reason I love taking part in prayer meetings and going and working at pantries is because I suspect that that is the place where I'm most likely to hear from Jesus. So go and do the things that you suspect Jesus would do. 
Spend time in prayer and care for people who are in the most need. That's where Jesus is going to be. And finally, fourthly, it's not exactly in this text, but it's in the Bible as a whole. Fourthly, if you want to hear from God, ask. Jesus says in the book of Matthew, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He wants you to come and seek his voice. First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says, if you're going to pray for anything, pray for the gift of prophecy, which is the gift of being able to hear from God and say, this is what God is saying. If you want to listen to God, if you want to hear God, ask. I'll tell you a story from the life of our own congregation from here at Real Life Church of a family who's been listening to God. Uh, and I've known this family for a good long while, and they are very sincerely pursuing God's will in their lives. They are listening for God. They, um, they live lives of ministry, and they seek to use their careers to do God's work, uh, not just as a means to an end to make money and uh, then go home at night. They really want to live their lives for God. And uh, recently they've been wrestling with the question of whether or not they were called to move to a new place, to leave California and move away. And they were really seeking God's will in this decision. By the way, I asked permission to share this story, so, so I'm, I'm not divulging confidences. Uh, but they've been, they've been praying about that and seeking God's will. Now, side note, for those of you who are out there thinking, I've been dying to move away from California because then I can make more money and not be surrounded by liberals. That's not God, that's just you. So pipe down a minute. This is a family who really wants to hear from God and wants to know what uh, God has to say in their lives. And there was a Sunday uh, in July where they were in church on a Sunday morning. And there came a moment where uh, at the end of the service, I walked out to pray. Sometimes at the end of the service, uh, here in person on Sunday mornings, I'll walk out and I'll say a prayer. And uh, the husband in this couple uh, called me to tell me this story. He says they've, they've both been thinking about um, moving. He says, my wife, you know, is, is concerned. She wants to make sure she has friends if we move to a new place. She wants, cares about those relationships and finding a place where she can have friends. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about, am I, am I making the right decision here? Am I thinking the right way about this? Uh, it's been heavy on our hearts. And he said, there was this time at the end of the service where you came out to say a prayer. And he says, there was this, this moment in the prayer where you paused and were quiet for a moment. He says, those are times where you're listening for God, aren't you? And I said, yeah, that's right. He goes, okay, okay, that's what I thought. He says, my wife, just before you prayed, and I didn't know this because she did this quietly in her head, just before you prayed, she said, God, please just speak to me. And he said, right at that moment where you paused, I heard this voice in my mind say, open your eyes, this next part is for you. And he thought, oh, this is, this is serious. And so he, he opened, opened his eyes and looked at me while I was praying. And he said, the next thing I said was, someone here is considering moving. Don't let money be an issue in the move. There is a ministry that God has planned for you where you're going. And then he said, I said something else about relationships and friendships. Anyway, the couple gets to the car after church and shared with each other about what they'd been praying and hearing in the midst of the prayer and believed then that God was blessing their plans to go to a new place. And I fully believe that with God's blessing, they are going where God has called them. 
because God has ministry planned for them where they're going. I think God wants to talk to us like that all the time. I think God wants us to have our receivers open and say, please, God, speak to me. I'm asking and seeking and knocking. I'm going where I think you would be to do the kinds of things I think you would do because I want to hear from you. I think God wants us in that place always. And I think as we, as we seek that, we'll have experiences like Samuel. Imagine a church in which every member of the church spent their life listening to God. I imagine if there was a church like that out there, there would be stories about that church that would make the ears of everyone who heard them tingle. May it be so with us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you call us into our relationship with you, and it is a real and living relationship. I thank you that you are not the God of the deists who started stuff up a long time ago and will maybe see us when it's over. I thank you that you are the God who is living and alive and real today. So we open our hearts to you and ask that you would speak. And if there's anybody listening today who has never taken that first step and said, Jesus, I want to believe in you. I believe you died for me, and I want to follow you now. We, we pray that now in our hearts. Jesus, forgive our broken past and set us free to new life. And now open our ears. In the quietness of our prayers, in the stillness of our meditations, Jesus, speak. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you again. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.